Welcome back to NC Realtors Redefine, the NC Realtors podcast. On this episode of Redefine, I am George Bell, and I have the privilege to have been asked to spend a few minutes with Will Martin, soon to be former NC Realtors legal guru, and ask him to reflect on his time with NC Realtors. But first, Do you have feedback on a story or topic that you'd like to hear covered on this podcast? Then give NC Realtors Redefine a call at 336-550-4437. When leaving your voicemail, be sure to tell us your name and where you're from. Your comments may be used on a future episode of NC Realtors Redefine. Welcome to this podcast where we will hear from Will Martin, soon to be former NC Realtors legal guru, the master of the legal Q&A, the brains behind nearly every NC Realtor form created or revised during the past 26 plus years, and likely for many, many years, the voice on the other end of the telephone when you call the NC Realtors legal hotline with a question. For those of you who may have missed the November 2022 Insight Magazine article, aptly titled, quote, where there's a will, there's always a way. Will Martin will retire at the end of this month. But before he does, we wanted to chat with him about some of his experiences with NC Realtors through the years. I am George Bell, and I have the privilege to have been asked to spend a few minutes with Will and ask him to reflect on his time with NC Realtors. Will? Are you ready to share some of your thoughts and insights, experiences, and memories with our membership? George, after that introduction, I'm not sure I'm, uh, I feel like I might be up to it, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. Well, there are 56,000 plus members of the NC Realtor Association, and trust me, we're all behind you and we have confidence that you are up to it. So let's start. Okay. I have nine questions for you for this podcast. Here's the first one. From your perspective, what is the biggest change that has taken place at NC Realtors during your 26 plus years working with the Realtor organization? Well, that's a great question, George. Uh, A couple of things come to mind. Uh, One, advances in technology have had a huge effect on the way I do my job. And it's it's also obviously had a, a, a very big effect on the way NC Realtor members do their jobs. Maybe I'll touch on that a little bit later if I have a chance. But for me, the other thing that comes to mind uh, that I consider to be the single biggest change that's taken place in my time at the NC Realtors has been the creation of the due diligence contract. 
I mean, that's coming from my perspective as someone who uh, was an integral part of the committees that created it and that have maintained it uh, as someone who's tried to educate NC Realtor membership about how that contract works through writing countless articles about the contract, answering thousands, maybe tens of thousands of questions about the contract on the hotline and giving dozens of presentations about the contract uh, over many years, not only to realtor groups, but also lawyer groups around the state. There have been a lot of changes in 26 years, as we will reflect on in a moment. Question number two I have for you, Will. So what factors drove the creation of the due diligence style contract that you referenced to just a moment ago? Another good question. Um, the contract that was in effect when I came to the NC Realtors in 1996 contained a large number of legal contingencies, uh, including, but probably not limited to, a loan contingency, an appraisal contingency. There was a flood hazard contingency, a wood destroying insect contingency, a radon contingency a cost of repair contingency, and uh, last but not least, there was this infamous contingency that I don't know how many questions I got about that stated that if any one of about 18 listed items was not, quote, performing the function for which intended, end of quote, or was, quote, in need of immediate repair, the buyer could terminate the contract if the seller failed or refused to repair the item or items following notice from the buyer. A number of those contingencies also contain dates or timeframes. For example, this, this one I just mentioned required a buyer to submit a list of questions that required repairs by a certain date that uh, there was a blank where you had to fill in a date that the buyer would submit requested repairs to the seller. And it required the seller to respond to the buyer's requested repairs within an agreed upon number of days also. And time was of the essence regarding the seller's response. So the old contract was chock full of contingencies, uh, you know, each of which worked in a little bit different way. And that led to what seemed like endless disputes between buyers and sellers and their brokers about whether or not one of those conditions was applicable or if it had been satisfied. I don't recall exactly when it was, but at some point, probably in the early 2000s, the forms committee started batting around the idea of applying uh, to residential transactions, the approach that was used in commercial transactions where the buyer had an agreed upon period of time to investigate the property and terminate for any reason or no reason if they decided they didn't want to go forward with the sale. And ultimately, that discussion resulted in the creation of what was known then as Alternative 2, which was added to the contract in 2004. The traditional approach uh, that I've just kind of described was retained as Alternative 1. So if the parties opted for, our, our, for Alternative 2, Although the loan and the appraisal contingencies were still applicable, 
all of those contingencies that related to the condition of the property were not there anymore. The buyer got a, an agreed upon period of time to take a look at the property. The parties could, but weren't required to negotiate repairs. And if the buyer wasn't happy with the condition of the property or the results of repair negotiations, they had to write to walk uh, so long as they did so uh, during the uh, due diligence period, no questions asked. Well, you know, not surprisingly, uh, brokers were somewhat resistant to change and alternative two didn't get a whole lot of traction uh, in the early in the early days. We, we continue to get lots and lots of questions on the hotline about disputes arising under alternative one contracts. And when I would bring those disputes to the attention of the forms committee to discuss possible changes to address those disputes, it became very common during the discussion for members of the committee to simply raise a hand with two fingers extended, which meant that if the parties had used alternative two instead of alternative one, the dispute we were spending lots of time, time trying to fix would never have arisen in the first place. So after several years of this, uh, seven, as a matter of fact, uh, NC Realtors and the Bar Association finally came to the conclusion that alternative one needed to be eliminated altogether. And the due diligence contract was introduced in January 2011. And not only were the contingencies relating to inspections and repair negotiations removed from the contract, the contingencies relating to loans and appraisals were taken out too. So the buyer's investigation of the financial aspects of the transaction, the feasibility of it, uh, all became a part of the buyer's due diligence. So that's, a, that's sort of a quick summary of how we got to where we are now. Thank you, Will. Uh, Will, the third question that I have for you today, how do you think the due diligence style contract has worked during the past nearly 12 years it has been in play? Well, George, I think it's worked pretty well. From a legal perspective, the due diligence contract is much, much simpler than the old contract. And the due diligence end date and the settlement date are the only two dates that the brokers need to keep up with uh, unless there's an additional earnest money deposit, in which case you have to have a date that that's to be delivered. So there are far fewer dates to have to keep up with uh, as well. So I think it, it, it just works better. It's, it's just simpler. Uh, far fewer, I mean, not to say that there aren't plenty of disputes between parties uh, today, but um, all those old contingencies that just became places for disputes to arise are, are gone. Uh, and I think that's been a, a, a very positive development. You know, having said that, I will say that Although I think it's entirely appropriate that the contract provides for the payment of a due diligence fee in consideration for the seller giving the buyer the right to terminate the contract for any reason or no reason for a period of time, I've got to admit that it bothers me to some extent that in an extreme buyer's market, like the one we were in during the Great Recession, when this form was uh, first rolled out, sellers 
tend to be undercompensated for the time that they take their property off the market. And that in an extreme seller's market, like the one we've just been through during the pandemic, sellers tend to be overcompensated for the time that they take their property off the market, um, overcompensated or undercompensated with respect to the due diligence fee. But if you believe, as most uh, NC Realtor members do, that the contract should be sensitive to market conditions, uh, and the due diligence contract is certainly a market-sensitive contract, then you have to accept the fact that the contract can be used to form contracts that might seem to be unfair to one party or the other. But uh, aside from that uh, concern that I've got, uh, I, th I think the due diligence contract uh, has served uh, the, the people of North Carolina and the brokers that represent them very well. Thank you, Will. So question number four, what aspects of working on the forms have you enjoyed the most? Well, George, I'd say it's it's been really challenging to be involved in the creation and maintenance of forms that are used in thousands, or in some cases, I'd say even hundreds of thousands of times each year across the entire state. If I think about it, it's a pretty pretty daunting task, but it's, it's, it's been tremendously rewarding uh, for me to be in the middle of creating and maintaining documents that are so integral to what realtor members do for a living. You know, to paraphrase a famous phrase, forms are the staff of a realtor's life. Uh, and so to be involved in the process of creating those forms that are integral to their practice um, has really been very rewarding. I'd say it's also been very gratifying to me to have been a part of the close relationship that has developed between the realtors and the bar association attorneys who work together on the jointly approved forms. NC Realtors is extremely fortunate to have a group of outstanding real property attorneys from around the state who volunteer a lot of their time to work on these forms to address issues that come up. And I think both organizations and their members benefit greatly from the fact that we have contract forms that are recognized and accepted across the entire state. Thanks, Will. And I too appreciate the relationship we have with the real property attorneys in the state. Question number five, you've been involved with the NC Realtor Professional Standards Committee during your tenure with the State Realtor Association. Are there changes to professional standards that you would care to comment on? Uh, yeah, George, and I'll, uh, I recall that you were a chair of that committee kind of early on in my tenure at NC Realtors. You know, I've always been really impressed with the processes that the realtor organization uh, has for the handling of ethics complaints and contractual disputes between members. I mean, those processes were in place when I started working for North Carolina Realtors. But during my time at uh, NCAR, 
uh, I'd say a significant development has been the extent to which the realtor organization has embraced methods of alternative dispute resolution. By that, I mean mediation, not only of arbitration matters, but also ethics complaints, uh, as well as the more recent development of the ombudsman program. Uh, you know, the North Carolina Realtors has devoted a lot of resources to mediation and ombudsman training. And as a result of that, there is now a very deep pool of trained volunteers who can handle requests for mediation uh, and requests for the appointment of an ombudsman. Now, speaking of the ombudsman program, uh, when it was first being put into place, which was mandated by uh, the real the National Association uh, not too many years ago. I recall talking with an attorney from the California Association of Realtors about the uh, California Association's ombudsman program, which had been in place for a pretty good while. In fact, the NAR program may have been patterned after the CAR program. And I remember being really impressed with how much that program in California is utilized, not only by members of the public, but uh, also by CAR members to resolve uh, their own misunderstandings. And I'm hopeful that uh, with time, the NC Realtors Ombudsman Program will become uh, an increasingly utilized resource. Thank you, Will. Question number six. I believe the heat legal hotline was in operation when you began working at the North Carolina Realtors back in 1996. And if that's correct, are there any changes in the legal hotline program that you care to comment on? When I first started at the NC Realtors, I took hotline questions only from brokers in charge, only between the hours of 2 and 4 p.m., and only on a dedicated red telephone. I don't have statistics on hotline usage from those days. I wish I did. But I'd say I probably handled four or five calls a day back then. Uh, now, my three partners and I take turns doing morning and afternoon shifts every day. We take questions from any NC Realtor member on the phone and to an increase, increasing extent by email. And we handle probably close to 30 questions a day on average now. We spend 10, between 10 and 15 minutes on each question on average. And that includes doing any necessary research and follow-up. So it's a very time-consuming, expensive program. But I think it's a wonderful service that NCR provides. And I'm really happy that it's being utilized more and more every year by NC Realtor members. And sort of an added benefit of uh, the hotline is that talking to so many realtors every day really helps us lawyers understand the legal issues that are out there. And that understanding contributes greatly to the content and quality of the Q&As that we write every week and also to the guidance we give to the various groups we work with on standard forms. Cool. There have been lots of changes over time. Question number seven, Will. 
Are there any other changes that you would like to comment on in any respect for the North Carolina Realtor Association? I alluded earlier to the advancements in technology, uh, which have fundamentally changed the way I do my work. When I first started working at NCR, I didn't have a computer on my desk. I didn't have a cell phone. I dictated letters on a tape recorder. And the idea of being able to send someone a message electronically sounded like science fiction. I wrote articles for a print publication called the General Counsel Quarterly that was bulk mailed to NCR members every quarter. Now I can communicate with members and push information out to them uh, with incredible speed. It's not at all unusual for me to follow up on a hotline call by emailing the member a Q&A when I get off the phone that's been written on the subject of the call uh, or by sending them an email with a link to a relevant statute or, or rule. I remember that standard forms were available only in pads. I can still visualize big stacks of pads stored in the hallways uh, and even in the men's bathroom at the old offices on Sewell Road in Greensboro. You know, now, of course, forms are generated electronically uh, and increasingly signed using an electronic signature program. So uh, NC Realtor members are able to conduct their business much more efficiently and rapidly, too, which I think is great. But uh, I got to say, I do sometimes worry that technological advances might contribute to doing things too fast. Uh, I can give you a personal example of what I mean by that. Uh, last year, I sold two houses that my sister and I inherited from our parents. We signed a lot of documents electronically, uh, including the offer to purchase and contract on, on, on both sales. The electronic signature program that was used would go from one page to the next, stopping only at the bottom of each page where we were to insert our initials. But because of my knowledge of what was in that form, I knew that there were blanks and checkboxes on many of the pages. So I would have to scroll up each page from the bottom to make sure that the form had been filled out correctly before moving on to the next page. I could only imagine that a lot of buyers and sellers wouldn't have known to do that or wouldn't have taken the time to do that and would simply have put their initials at the bottom of each page and signed on the signature line without knowing how the contract had been filled out, much less reading it. So, you know, uh, I think technology is a two-edged sword and Although you can do things more and more quickly, I think we need to continue to go slow and, and, and consciously remember the need to go slow. I think just from a risk management standpoint, it's important and to represent the best interest of your clients to make sure they know what it is they're signing. Another thing that comes to mind when I think about changes that have taken place was the enactment of the Vacation Rental Act in 1999. That was a very significant and novel piece of legislation that I had the opportunity to work on closely with the attorneys at the Real Estate Commission 
as well as several vacation rental managers. Uh, I got to say, I have a very fond memory of driving at very high speed across Ocracoke Island with Tom Miller from the commission right behind me as we were trying to make the last ferry over to Cedar Island when he and I were doing presentations along the coast after the Vacation Rental Act had been enacted. One other thing that comes to mind, George, is the Real Estate Commission's creation of designated dual agency that happened not too long after I came to the North Carolina Realtors. Uh, Ann Bowman and I created some educational program materials, and I hired you to deliver programs to I don't remember how many local associations across the state. That's, that's, uh, that's when I first got to know you. Uh, as far as designated agency goes, it, I think it was slow to catch on, but my sense is that it's practiced pretty widely across the state now. And I think that's a good thing because I think it's better than dual agency from a risk management point of view. Well, as I previously said, we all know changes have occurred and you just pointed that out. As we start wrapping this up, question number eight. Will, are there any changes that you would like to see take place uh, post your uh, retirement and time with NC Realtors? Well, thank you for that question, George. For, for one thing, I think it would be great if the Residential Property Disclosure Act was revised to eliminate the right of a seller to make no representation about the condition of their property. The discrepancy between an owner's lack of duty to disclose material facts about their property and the affirmative duty of a real estate broker to disclose material facts about the property is confusing to both brokers and consumers. And as a matter of public policy, I think it's good for buyers to have as much information about a property as possible before they sink a large amount of their hard-earned money into buying it. I also think that the Residential Property Disclosure Act should be revised to require that the mineral and oil and gas rights disclosure statement be provided in the sale of vacant land. On the professional standards front, I would like to see the development of a statewide professional standards program that would allow cases to be administered by the NC Realtor staff and heard by panels of highly trained and experienced volunteers. I know that the idea has been discussed a couple of times in the past, but I still hope it happens one day because I believe it would be very beneficial for those, especially for those local associations that handle few, if any, cases. I also think it would be a good idea for North Carolina to enact some comprehensive laws regarding agency as it relates to real estate transactions. Uh, the existing case law addressing the duties of real estate agents is sparse and, at least in my opinion, to some extent unclear. I think a statute that clearly defines the duties of agents acting as single agents, dual agents, and designated dual agents would be very beneficial to brokers and consumers. And here's a broad-ended opportunity for you, Will. Is there anything else that we have not discussed that you would like to share with the membership? Well, as I've mentioned, I've worked closely with our members on the development and maintenance of residential, commercial, property management, and auction forms 
that make up the NCR forms library and with the members of the Professional Standards Committee. I just want to say how inspiring it has been for me to work with the volunteer members of those committees and task forces. Uh, as I have been fond of telling them, I get paid for my work and I am truly humbled at the time and, and effort they give to their organization and their profession without the expectation of being paid. It's really, really awesome. I also want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to all the attorneys at the Real Estate Commission who I've had the privilege of working with closely over the years. I bug them with questions pretty often and they've always been very generous in responding to them. I've also really appreciated their steadfast presence at meetings of the various committees that work on forms. Their guidance has been indispensable. Uh, the last thing I want to say in closing is, although I wasn't a particularly good Boy Scout, I've always remembered being taught in the Scouts that when you broke camp, you needed to leave the campsite in a little better condition than when you arrived. I would like to think that in the small area of the realtor organization where I've been camped the past quarter century, I'm leaving it in at least a little better condition than when I arrived. My affiliation with the North Carolina Realtors has been great for me, both professionally and personally, and I'm very grateful to have been a small part of it all. Wow, Will, or should I say, Will, wow. During the past 27 years, oh, so many things have transpired in the state of North Carolina and at the North Carolina Realtor Association. And frankly, I think I safely can speak for the 56,000 plus members of the NC Realtors when I say, we will miss you. On a personal note, I will greatly miss working with you. But at the same time, we have confidence that your colleagues, Bill Guilford, John Waite, and Adam Stallings are firmly in control of the NC Realtorship. Will, we thank you for your time today, for your historical perspective on so many of the NC Realtor accomplishments over the past 26 plus years. No, thank you, George. I appreciate that very much. Please know you have served as an awesome steward of the Realtor brand. May blessings continue for you and your family. And we thank each of you for your participation in today's podcast. Good day. Be sure to catch up on every episode of NC Realtors Redefine by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud.